Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Okay. It's been a while since we recorded our conversations, Caitlin. It has actually. Have we forgotten how to do this? Did we ever know how to do it in the first place? <laughs> Good question. Maybe not. <laughs> um, so welcome back, everyone. Yes, welcome back to Better Words. We're back. We're back. Although I must say I'm very happy we took a break. Oh, me too. I'm, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy that we will be doing shorter seasons and more breaks in the future because it's it's been good to be able to read more books. Yes, and to be able to read books that we just get to choose without preparing for the podcast. Like, I know that probably sounds silly. Like, we love reading these books and being able to talk to people, but – for a while there it was like I've got to read this because we're interviewing them and then this and then this and then this and it was all planned out and we you know you just never got to got to pick up something and be like this is fun I yes. love reading <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so I'm I'm enjoying that very much yeah nice. me too it's so nice so and it's we... so funny just quickly well like when we started this podcast and we were doing weekly episodes and then even <laughs> switching to fortnightly and now we're like seasons, how much has changed? Oh my God. Yeah. Like you don't even live in the country anymore and I don't live in the same state. No. Neither of us have the same job. No. Like, it's insane. Wow. Yeah, it has. Like, so much has changed. It's been a long ride. Oh, yeah. Anyway, been, yeah. Just I just mm. kind of thought of that because we were like, oh my god, start of season four of this season podcast. Four. Season yeah. four. Woo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Michelle, we've had a bit of time off as as we have just been discussing. Yes. What do you think is like one of the best books you've read in our break? Okay, well, I know you were saying that, um, you know, in the break you got to sort of pick and choose what you wanted. <laughs> but yeah. I still was – I was doing uni, so I still was very much like – it was mainly a break so that I could just do my uni reading. <laughs> yeah, you still had, like, a science <laughs> class <hard>. reading. <laughs> yes, and it was not fun. It was not fun reading, although <laughs> there was a Helen Garner in there, which I was like that was the only good thing about that whole class. It was – was atrocious from start to end apart from that. Um, but but enough said about that. Um, what I did read in little snippets um, because I wanted to savour the writing was Boy Swallows Universe. Finally. 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 Right? Like how yes. late to the party were we? Like I so know. late. Like over a year late. I know. And that's partly that's because I didn't think – it would necessarily be for me. It sounded too literary. And also mm-hmm. I have this thing with hyped books where it's like this, I just become like this petulant child where it's like, oh, yeah, everyone says it's good. Huh, huh, I won't like it. No, no, I'm not going to like it. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to read it. And I just get this real stubborn thing where I don't want to, I don't want to be part of the crowd. Isn't that weird? Oh, I, I mean, don't know how yeah. else to explain it. Nah, it's all right. I know how you feel because it has, you know, taken a while for me to embrace um, my, shall we say, basic taste, um, even when it comes to books. I mostly refer to music when I say that and TV and movies and anything. But, but yeah, I mean, God, we're all late to the party for Boy Swallows Universe. And it's ridiculous yeah. because it is – so worth the hype it's just so worth glorious it. and magical also, and beautiful disclaimer, Caitlin's not saying that just because she works for the publisher oh I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying that just because I now work for HarperCollins although it genuinely is amazing and I did it's... get gifted the copy of the book at my interview Yes, so, that's. I yeah. mean, that's what it took for you to join the party. <laughs> yeah, I now work there, and then I read the book. I was like, I can't oh. work at HarperCollins and not read Boy Swallows Universe. 
it it's already moving out of the country to find. I was like, oh, okay, I'll finally read it. And I bought the hardcover version that's just come out in the UK. I like yeah. how weird is that? It took me moving overseas, but I do get insanely proud when I see it still on like the um like new release sections of like when I go into the local bookshop. I'm like, ah. Oh. Australia um it's so Australian I'm very interested I know that there are a couple of Aussie people uh, sorry UK friends who are going to read it and I'm very interested to see what they think because it is so nostalgically Australian and not only that it's so Queensland it is but I don't know I kind of think it it could be anywhere. Like the Australian stuff, you know, now makes him an Australian treasure. But yeah, I don't think like that it made necessarily me feel means like... that people won't like it just because they're not from Queensland. No, I don't think they will, but I just wonder if there are some things they won't get. Like I know that definitely he was he had some great ways of talking about like rugby league and stuff. Yeah. And I got that because even though I'm not a huge sports person growing up in Queensland, it's impossible not to know who Wally Lewis is um, or, you know, to at least have some understanding. And, you know, I think there were things in there like the Forex factory and stuff like that. And it's just that sort of stuff that it just, in my mind, conjured up such an image of even my childhood of like, like that, the, even the things like with the hose out, the fact that they were out on the yeah. hot street with the hose, things like that, like would you ever just play in the street with or like play in the front yard or whatever and you'd have the hose and like, I don't know, it just yeah. that conjured up a lot of nostalgic stuff and I think that's what he does so well in it is that he creates mm. this amazing like um, – plot-driven novel but then also it's quite literary but never boringly so like it's oh he's worth the hype I mean it it really is one of the things I think um it does really well is it's fast-paced but not yeah like I could stop like I did stop a lot I took me over a month to read it because his writing is so beautiful that I didn't want to rush it hmm yeah. yeah, it's really, really nice. And just the yeah. way he'd weave in little seemingly irrelevant things. But yeah. But it up to a good story. Yeah. And obviously, like, you know I would have loved the whole, like, the thing where he wants to work in the Korean Mail and stuff like that. Oh, but I know. More so than that, like, when he goes to see Caitlin Spires at her, um, at her, like, little newspaper office I was just picturing our old office I was <laughs> and too. I was just imagining that sort of like it just it was so yeah it was it was great and the then later on in the book once he does work at the in the newsroom I just it was so vivid in my mind it was wonderful yeah <laughs> yeah really 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 good book oh I want to read it again now god <laughs> oh oh um, what um, was your best read? Well, Boys Boys Universe was one of them. And we, okay, we didn't exactly plan this, listener people. Um, but the other one that we're both going to talk about that we both loved, um, which I'll say it's one of my best reads. I'll go a little break. Is um, And I say that because I'm pretty sure I mentioned Boys Boys Universe in our last episode, but I don't remember. Mm, I think um, so. But, yeah, <laughs> but Our Stop by Laura Jane Williams, which, oh, so good. Best rom-com of the year. Oh, yeah. my God. It was wonderful. It's like I just keep telling people it's the millennial love story. For, it's the millennial feminist love story. It really is. You know, and it's like so Like for every cynical. Fun. Yeah. Like it's. Perfect, and it's so of the moment, but I don't think it will date. I mean, it it will date, but it'll date in the way that Bridget Jones dates, where you watch it and you're like, oh, that's so like early 2000s, but that doesn't stop you from loving it. Like, it doesn't make it, um, what's the word, inaccessible to future. Like, that Bridget Jones is obviously 
well before our time. We were watching it as kids, but that doesn't mean that you can't love it. And I think that that's how I felt about our stuff. It's just like so of the moment and so yeah, now. Yeah, but still kind of could be timeless. I like so that. Good. Yeah. So, so for everyone who wants to rush out and buy this story, um, buy this book, um, this Again, one, funnily enough, is um, also HarperCollins. Um, but so it came out in in the UK when, Michelle? Like in like August. August? Okay. So I was also very kindly gifted a copy by HarperCollins UK yeah to read for 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 review and stuff so um yeah it came out over here in august but it comes out in it comes out australia. in australia in december yeah um so be treed it's gonna oh, be great it's so good it's so good it's oh. so much fun so but it's also genuinely like i don't i'm not but it's not um, it's not a cheesy No, I'm not giving any spoilers away by saying that it deals a lot with grief as well, but Mm. it deals with it from the male perspective. It's quite interesting. And so it is a love story, but we get both the female and the male perspective. Their whole characters. Yeah, and their friends and their family. And I think if anyone loves Mari McFarlane, you're going to love this. Um, that just yes. made me feel where it was like very smart and other things happening, but it made me feel really happy. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And, um, what I was thinking and sort of comparing it to in my own head is, um, it's like the book ninja and the flat share combined. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, in fact, those. I think that Laura Jane Williams did events with, is it Beth? O'Leary yeah yeah she did events with her and I was like that is the perfect match so yeah yeah it's very but yeah anyone who loves Mari McFarlane too I think will find and if you've already read Our Stop then go read Mari McFarlane because you'll love it so yeah, yeah definitely a wonderful light but clever read for every cynical feminist she doesn't believe in love. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Or who believes um, in love but also wants to acknowledge the problematic tropes that come with love. And with romance and novels with romance. and rom-coms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. We've talked appropriately about our best reads, which is mm-hmm. suitable for the podcast. Um, so quickly, let's run through best in the break. Mm-hmm. Best thing you've listened to? Go. Man in the Window by the LA Times and Wondery. It's a podcast looking at the Golden State Killer, which everybody knows I loved Michelle McNamara, McNamara's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Mm-hmm. This is, um, it is the Golden State Killer again, but it's the updated version. So obviously I'll Be Gone in the Dark came out they were doing the book tour and they caught the alleged killer. Um, This runs through all the evidence they've got basically. So it tells the story, but it also ties the alleged killer back in and explains why it's him essentially and gives you an update on the trial. It's so, so creepy because he would ring his victims and they actually have audio of him on the phone talking to his victims. Yeah. Oh. I know. I was on a I was on a bus there in broad daylight and I had to like turn it off. I was like, oh, I'm so creeped out. Like Oh, oh. no. It was okay. icky but amazing reporting. And also in that as well, um, very much my sort of thing. They explored why um why essentially he got away with it so long and he got away with rapes for so long because sexual assault was not treated as seriously as it should have been. So, yeah, amazing reporting. Okay. Well, that is completely up your alley. Yeah. My favourite thing that I've been listening to the entirety of our break is um, <laughs> Taylor Swift's album <laughs> Lover. So, obviously, love Taylor Swift. If you haven't yeah. listened to any of the album, Michelle, have you listened to any of it? 
Um, because I sent you song recommendations like the day it came out. <laughs> I know. I need to. I'm sorry. Um, I've been listening to um the one that the Queer Eye guys were in. What's that one called? You need to calm down. Yes, that's been on the radio over here a lot. So good. It was it was like multiple times a day at once yeah. for a while. Um and um oh my gosh, what's the one that has been on the radio lots? You know Lover. the main one. Lover. No. <laughs> Me. Me. Yes. <laughs> so obviously I recommend the whole album, but. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, now I'm like, hmm, choose a song. Cruel Summer, The Man, Paper Rings, Death by a Thousand Cuts, and London Boy, I think, are my favourites. But you need to listen Ooh. to them, Michelle. I really think that you would like them. <laughs> okay, I need to listen to them. I do. Yes. Best thing that you, best movie that you watched? Hustlers. Ooh. I don't, yeah, I don't actually think that I have seen that many movies. And I saw this one on Friday, so it's kind of an easy choice. But mm-hmm. I had been feeling a little bit conflicted about it um, because there's a good piece that I read um, that I will put in our show notes about how the movie and the production of the movie possibly didn't do as well as they could have to support, like, the clubs and the people and the people who work in the clubs where they filmed and, you know, social media um, advertising when Instagram and Facebook shadow ban sex workers and pole dancers and things like that. So there was – I was feeling a little bit conflicted, but bottom line, they still did a fair amount to try and really support goodness. the industries. And mm. it's like an all-female cast directed by a female – J-Lo can do anything. So <laughs> I went. I loved it. It was so much fun. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd forgotten that Julia Stiles was in it. That was cool. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, she was like the journalist who interviewed them because the movie is based on a New Yorker article, New York Times article, one of the two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. So it's like based on a real story, which – um, my aunt Monica yeah. didn't realize when mm. we then saw it. So mm. yeah, so love a real story. Awesome. What about you? Down to Abbey, the movie. Of oh yeah, oh, I have so not beautiful. seen it, but I haven't seen any Down to Abbey. So yeah, no, but it you definitely it... like you wouldn't hate it if you hadn't watched the movie. But a lot of it, it's it's, it's light on plot because it's very much about the characters so if you're not if you haven't followed them then you'll probably be like well this is boring yeah Um, but it lives up you wouldn't hate show yeah it's so wonderful it's so beautiful I really hope that they do more because it's just gorgeous and as with the show as well deals with a lot of other issues that outside um especially and a don't, I don't think this is a spoiler, but especially with one character in particular and um, his sexual identity as well, um, deal a lot with that. So, yeah, it's just wonderful. So, yeah, beautiful. Good. I'm Loved glad it. you enjoyed it. Loved it, yeah. What about your top um, TV show? Yeah, I was just going to say that. Uh, The Bold Type. I've watched all of seasons one to three. I'm hanging out for season four now. I loved it. You need to watch it. You will love it. Yeah. Excellent. I basically have the equivalent recommendation, which my favourite thing, favourite TV show that I've watched recently, possibly this whole year, is Younger. Are you going to say Younger? Oh! Yeah. (laughs) That's my next. Didn't we say that too? Like we were going to swap. Yeah. We need to watch the other. because start Younger. Yeah. I flew through. There's like six seasons of Younger or something on stand at the moment. I flew through them. So, so good. That's I understand why, I why everyone is talking about Nico and Sutton Foster <laughs> is awesome. And just I just love Hilary Duff. She's a bit weird in the show, but I just love her. I feel like she's cool. Um, also, anyway. side note, uh, Lizzie McGuire reboot. Yes. <sighs> it's going to be so good. I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Oh. 
okay well we will um we will That's have to compare notes on <laughs> I'm so I'm so excited for younger I think I went for the bold type first because there were fewer seasons so I'm excited for younger now yeah yeah but there better be a season four of the bold type because it ended on such a cliffhanger I need to know what happens <laughs> fair enough yeah. fair enough all right Okay, well, okay, we'll, well shut up and go note. to our interview now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> our guest this week is an award-winning novelist and radio dramatist who has written short stories and stage plays with critical acclaim. Our guest was an actress and a journalist with varied roles, and she's written several young adult novels, including The Big Lie and The Electrical Venus, and has made her adult debut with Impossible Causes, a novel described as The Crucible Meets the Craft. If that's not impressive enough, she's also working on a non-fiction book. Welcome to Better Words, Julie Mayhew. Hello. How are you? We're fantastic. We're very excited that you've joined us, so thank you for making the time. Oh, no, I love it. I love talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we yeah. do as well. <laughs> so we were um, saying before we started recording that um, the weather in England at the moment is is very atmospheric and very much like the the sort of um, the environment of Lark, which is the, the island in Impossible Causes. So it feels appropriate to be talking to you about this book today. Yeah, it feels a bit spooky because the um the finished copies arrived yesterday, and then the rains oh, just so. came, and they just I mean they're quite they're just biblical, and there's nothing like you know it's just insane. And I was really worried actually about talking to you that you know you'd just be able to hear the rain hammering on the roof of my writing shed, but it has slightly calmed for the moment. It does make me feel a little bit witchy that I've got some sort of control over the weather at the moment, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I think that's awesome. Embrace it. Tell people you've changed the weather. Why not? Yeah, yeah. it's totally me. <laughs> yeah. So we would love to start off talking about your brand new novel, Impossible Causes. So it's been described as brilliantly dark thriller about isolated communities, rumours and suspicion, which Michelle thinks is a pretty spot on description of the atmosphere. So for Northern Hemisphere listeners, it makes the perfect autumn read. It's getting mm-hmm. a bit yeah. warmer down here, so it's not maybe not, oh, but yeah, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Julie, can you tell us a bit about how the story started to come to life? Um, well, it was quite weird, actually. It was, it was, it was a project that started um, through Twitter. And I know I complain about oh, Twitter all the time yeah. that it draws me away from writing and it's a distraction. Um, but I don't know, a lot of writers, you know, they work alone in isolation and you just need to chat every so often this is why this is lovely but also you know kind of like (laughs) online chatting as well and uh, there was an editor that I'd been following for a while that I quite you know I like the stuff that she was doing I thought she was interesting so I've just been following along and often like editors or agents will go I'd really love to read a book about x and I always sort of slightly a bit sneery about it maybe because I always think like yeah like you've got one of those in the bottom of your drawer oh let me just go and get that book that you're talking about and she started talking about um the crucible and witchcraft and I was like, oh, I've been thinking about that at the moment. And I sort of replied to her and said, yeah, there's some, there is something about that. There's something in the air at the moment about that. And I feel like I want to write something about that. And she said, well, great, let's meet up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, OK. Uh, so <laughs> we met and I sort of went, right, OK, what would I, what is it about this kind of air of kind of girls using witchcraft and why are they using witchcraft and what power do they get from it that they perhaps lack elsewhere? And we just started talking, I started sort of talking about this world that I wanted to create. And I think um, I'm really fascinated by really closed communities. All my books have got some sort of closed community in some way, whether that's like physically closed off like an island or politically closed off or, um, yeah, just whether they're remote in some way. Because I think like people operate in different ways when they're in smaller kind of closed off communities. And I just started talking about it and she went, yeah, great, let's do it. Um, yeah, so that's where that's where it began. What a cool beginning to a to a story in a new book. I mean, it seems very like current almost that you got the idea from talking to someone on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, and it seems it's, it almost seems a bit casual, doesn't it? As well, that yeah. like. But I have to say, this is 
yeah the, 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 I do curse it constantly and then kind of delete the app and go I'm not doing it anymore it's ridiculous because you know obviously for all the great it brings it brings a lot of stress, stress as well and distraction <laughs> mm. but uh, you know a couple of really great projects of mine have come through meeting like-minded people on um, Twitter I met my agent through Twitter um, and you know just kind of like bonding over something that we're really passionate about with my agent I was writing a lot, a lot about Russia I was working on beginnings of mother tongue at the time which my book set in Russia and my agent's really passionate about kind of you know she's a real Russophile as well and we just bonded over that and you know that's how I met her and a radio projects again um a, a producer I'd been chatting to had listened to one of my radio dramas and we just got talking and then we made a radio drama and that's probably one of my most successful ones so yeah I think it's pe- people it's people it's talking it's bonding over ideas that leads to really great things it does. And I feel like the bookish community in particular is very open to those sort of connections. I mean, we've had that happen with Twitter and with Instagram and, and things like that as well, both, mm. um, you know, through the podcast and just personally. Um, I did, there is something special about this community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and we tend to be, you know, I don't want to kind of tar us all the same brush, but we all tend to be a little bit introverted, a little bit kind of like happy in our own company. So in a way, sort of the online world works quite well because we can sort of, you know, poke our heads above the parapet, have a little chat and then disappear again and carry on with our writing and our reading or whatever we're doing. And it's not too intense. And yeah. Yeah. And then it can, <laughs> then it leads to like real world friendships as well, which is just, you know, brilliant. Absolutely. Well, we are very glad that you had that that chat. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, I really loved reading Impossible Causes. It's it's really really it's it is perfect for autumn. Um, mm. Obviously, we mentioned um, it's set on an island. That island is called Lark, and it's really a step back in time. It's cut mm. off from the mainland for several months of the year, and modern technology doesn't work. Um, and then on top of that, the residents are, like you said, very close. They're they're very religious and suspicious of anyone um, coming in. And I think there's um, there's like an interview process or an application process to move to the island as well. Mm. So there's there's that aspect of the community, but then. Um, in my head, I had this idea of a, a very beautiful, rugged coastline. I'm really interested to know if there was any sort of real life inspiration for Lark. Yeah, I mean, it's, when it's, it's a bit dangerous saying there's some real life inspiration because it could offend a whole <laughs> island. But um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a completely made up place. But um, uh, yeah, I think I was toying with that, the mixture that I have about, I, you know, I, I think it the idea of going to live on a really remote island seems like perfect and wonderful. But the times when I have gone and done something really remote, like I went on a writing retreat once in the middle of, it was often near one of the locks in Scotland and it was middle middle of kind of nowhere and all there were were those cows with the shaggy fringes, you know, that was it, there were no people. And, you know, my phone didn't work and, and you know, to begin with, it's like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And then, I'm, you know, after a few hours, you just get a bit twitchy, like, oh my God, there's, there's just no one around, this is, terrifying so I think I was playing with that edge within myself that you know I often have that feeling of like oh I just want to get in my car and drive and live in a hut in the middle of nowhere and then you know (laughs) and then then I have periods where I'm like I just need to see people and I need to you know you have to walk to a, a shop or something and um I think we've all got that kind of like push and pull within us so I was kind of playing with that but kind of landscape I mean there is an island called um I'm going to say the name wrong but Tristan de Cuna which is does I think it belongs to Britain in some way but it's down um and it, it takes ages to get to and I'm not sure that it, that's very easy to get to either I think there might be an airport um I'm trying to remember now but again that's hugely remote and I was thinking about the sort of things that that I, particularly being quite an anxious person, would worry about if I lived there. Like, you know, what if one of my children was really sick? Like, would the hospital be able to deal with it? And, and so I kind of was sort of putting my mind on that island and thinking what what I would love about it and what I would hate. With the kind of rugged coastline, I was I spent quite a lot of time in Cornwall when I was writing. And I think that's got that really interesting, it's really quite colourful coastland, but it's um, it, it's very windswept as well. So I think a lot of the kind of visual um the visual elements come from spending time in Cornwall and they have got lots of standing stones around there as well so um there's that sort of pagan atmosphere too 
Yes, I was just trying to think, um, when you mentioned Cornwall, there is a wonderful young adult book that I read a few years ago, and mm -hmm. the name escapes me right now, but it's set in Cornwall, and it's to do with witches and that sort of thing. So I think that there is something about that area that has that air of um, mystery. Yes, and yes. Yeah, sort of. Definitely the West, the Southwest, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, I did go and have a. Uh, there's there are some um, some sort of very similar to the sister stones which are in my book in in the Cornwall. And I'm, I think they might be called the weird sisters. Their stones, and yeah, the the mist settles on them and kind of lifts and settles, and it's really atmospheric. And you're like, oh, I totally understand why you put the stones here. This is where they belong. But yeah, nobody quite knows what they were for, and uh, I think that's really exciting as well to think. You know, we have all these stories about oh, was it to tell time? Was it for you know to celebrate something was it you know uh, a monument to something or were they praying or what you know and we just probably will never know oh that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> oh wow I mean it's just so interesting I love always love hearing about the inspirations behind you know these different stories and characters um but when you announced impossible causes on your website you said that it was a all-consuming writing process so can you tell us a little bit more about that like how difficult is it to create such like a haunting and spooky story and setting without letting you know it into your day-to-day -day? <laughs> I think I, I struggle with that actually <laughs> yeah often um, <laughs> often yeah I've, I've, I've start getting like anxious about things that are happening in my book and going no that's in the book it's not real yeah, yeah. Um, I'm making it up like <laughs> yeah and I think with this book, not to give too much away but obviously it's about you know an island who doesn't speak about things and I was thinking what am I not speaking about what am I keeping hidden you know you kind of like you become a bit like ah is this actually about me and, <laughs> and what am I what am I keeping buried and so um yeah it does kind of get into your into your head a bit um I think I kind of uh all-consuming in the sense that so I sort of taught myself how to read the tarot because I thought it was really important because the book is structured to do with the tarot because the tarot the major arcana cards tell a story of somebody going from being the fool to becoming worldly wise so I knew that that was going to be the structure of the book so I wanted to really understand the cards so I taught myself how to read them a bit um and like found books that really spoke to me because I think with tarot it mean different cards mean different things to different readers and it was finding the kind of book that really spoke to me about what those cards mean and finding and, and often you'll look at a card once and then you'll look at it again and there'll be a little something within the card and you think oh I could that you know I could feature that in the chapter and that could be really symbolic of this and that so I spent a lot of time doing that and um I keep like um like a really visual um I work really visually so I, I've got this sort of I work in a shed and I pin loads of stuff to the front of my you know the wall in front of my desk so that I've always got this big sort of visual thing in front of me and um, also a big scrapbook of stuff that I'm keeping notes of like you know when the fishing times are and when the moon is full and so I've got that all going on as well. Oh cool. That does sound really fascinating and I, I, I suppose that really helps to being able to keep that all in your writing shed uh, and yeah sort of like sort of go away into that right and then yeah yeah a little bit yeah exactly yeah I, I used to work in the house and it used to be feel a bit weird to pin things up especially if you're writing about something a bit weird and dark which obviously parts of impossible causes are and especially I mean I, we might talk about it a bit later on I think the the big lie my book which was about um girls in in a Nazi culture so obviously I needed to really understand that kind of Nazi imagery which was very powerful that was part of their kind of control was to use very beautiful images actually to kind of you know mm. describe themselves and to to keep everybody in line so I had a lot of those images and I thought I, yeah you don't want those in your house <laughs> <laughs> they're in the shed you lock the door and you don't have to you know look at them all day long but I think they were really important because my main character was a Nazi so I was fairly buying into um yeah but yeah but it can be a bit embarrassing if the postman comes around the back to my shed and then looks at my wall and is like huh? what is she doing yeah yeah <laughs> I need to explain myself 
Um, oh, so we did mention at the start that this is your first novel for adult audiences. Um, even though a, a lot of the story revolves around these young young girls and um, the things that are happening on the island, it, it is more of an adult um, book in, in terms of some of the subject matter. Did you set out to write for adults? And um, I guess how did you develop that as you progressed with the story? Um. I think uh, I think when I first started writing, I didn't perhaps set out to write for teenagers. Is possibly so. In a sense, it feels like I've just been writing how I write, and um, and I don't mean that in the sense I didn't want teenagers to read it. Is that I think I think if you try to write for teenagers, that can be a little bit patronising, mm-hmm. um, and that I was looking. I think I was writing the books that I would have been searching for at that age because sort of YA wasn't really much of a goer when I was younger and so you'd kind of finish Judy Bloom and then you'd be like there's nothing else to read so yeah yeah and the librarian would be handing you Vanity Fair and you'd be like oh really it seems a bit of a I don't know it didn't it didn't seem like the right step I ended up actually reading Margaret Atwood I found that she was my kind of bridging fiction into into the adult world but um uh I think I was kind of writing that and I'm really just I'm just really interested in the period of coming of age because I think we become really set in our thinking and our actions and we don't really change fundamentally when we're when we become at once we're adults unless something really significant happens to us like if you know we um sometimes after a death or a birth or or something something very serious happens to us then we might change our minds about things but we don't tend to change our minds whereas I think that age kind of like from 14 upwards you're starting to realize that your parents are flawed and they're not they're just human beings and what everything they say isn't Mm -hmm. always true and you're deciding who you're going to be and I think that's just a really rich theme to be mining for fiction so yeah even though I've, this is you know was always from the start I knew it was going to be targeted squarely at an adult audiences where the other books have sort of had that kind of crossover area um I yeah still still I'm sort of writing about the young experience but I suppose in Impossible Causes those girls are very much viewed rather than um it's it's not told from their point of view and I think that was really deliberate that I wanted almost quite a voyeuristic feel that we're watching those girls grow up and what people make of them as they grow up is as as telling as you know what what's going on for them absolutely I know it is it is interesting the differentiation between you know like what what's a YA book and then what makes it adult and you know it's I don't know how we decide that sometimes but yeah it's interesting to try and um understand like some of those factors or themes or something like that where you know I think it depends, the it depends on the yeah <laughs> it depends on the reader as well like what they're yeah, ready to handle so. and what they're ready to take on and yeah and I think you kind of I can trying to think of myself at that age and I was kind of I was sort of ready to peek behind the curtain as it were and kind of go what is going on in the adult, mm. adult world what are they really thinking so I, that, I was quite keen to be reading books that weren't sort of presenting adult viewpoints for a younger audience that were really getting into it I really liked Stephen King for that I know he's like uh you know he's thought of as a thriller and horror writer but I I thought the, the psychology in that was really interesting to me as a, as a teenager that there would be moments where the adult characters would be you know very internal and talking about how they feel about things and that was really revolutionary for me kind of like I don't know like, that idea like oh gosh adults have thoughts as well you're just this wash of emotions you think you're the only one with feelings <laughs> Mm. and there is there is that I mean you, you touched on it before there is that um that point in your life where you start to realize that adults don't really know what they're doing either and okay. that that is very powerful thing to explore and yeah like sort of go through in fiction I also read something really interesting um when I was doing some research for my latest uni assignment and it was it was talking about the distinction between non-fiction and fiction um, mm. and it was a very very iconic Australian writer one of my favorites called Helen Garner and she was saying because there's a lot of crossover in her books between what is fiction what is non-fiction even in mm. her non-fiction that is thoroughly researched she sort of inserts herself as a character mm. and she uses these 
fictional techniques to tell the story. And what she said is, she's like, I just wish I could say, here is a book. This, this is the yeah. book you read it, you decide. I think it's interesting. I always find it interesting from an author's perspective because, you know, we'll speak to some people and they'll say, well, I didn't, I didn't intend to write it for children or for adults, but, you know, that's just where it fits within the marketing. Um, mm. So I'm always fascinated to have this discussion about how we classify things and, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's really interesting because I'm I am attempting to write nonfiction at the moment, and that's absolutely seems to be the core of what I'm I'm sort of writing about that the fact that hang on this is nonfiction but is it like because there's no I don't think there's any such thing as nonfiction because it always it's always told from a viewpoint so therefore it's I've just written yeah. an essay about this and like oh my gosh you need to the, share this with me <laughs> I will we'll chat we'll chat after um, yeah definitely once definitely. get into the philosophical viewpoints of it it's it's really fascinating but highly recommend um getting uh any any Helen Garter if you can but I'll I'll tell you about it I'll tell you about it later because it's oh, yes, a bit perfect. hard to get hold of in, <laughs> in the UK but yeah it's so worth reading um but yeah, I think sorry, I think we've yeah, total tangent there. But I totally think with the YA uh, uh, that the books, the books of mine that were were published as YA, I think that was because I was absolutely sitting in the point of view of the younger character. Mm. And I think mm. it can be something kind of like as crucial as that, because even adult books that have a very young protagonist, often the narrator is sort of on their shoulder a bit and commenting a little bit on what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're seeing. Whereas I think with young adult, you very much inhabit that young character and you go with them um, mm. on that journey. So it feels a bit more immersive for a younger reader. So I think that's why then that perhaps is why mm. a, a book becomes more successful for a younger audience. I don't but know, I definitely I'm yeah. happy people are reading them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting too, when we say young adult, like for me personally, as a reader, I sort of then classify things as, you know, this is younger, young adult, or this is, and I would say, you know, something like The Big Lie is much more mature, young adult, like probably would recommend to, you know, over 15s rather than the younger ages of that. And so it's very, it, it's, we almost need like categorizations within that. It yeah. Gets complicated. yeah. And I've got, I mean, I've got a 13 year old and his reading tastes are changing so quickly because what he's willing to read you know what he finds interesting is changing very quickly and what he finds funny or fascinating or just shifts because you're sort of growing so much at that point and you're you know you're maturing at such a speed yeah you do need that really broad range of books and and there is now which is amazing yeah we're very lucky we're very lucky to have the um range of young adult that we mm, do have yeah. it supported in the way that 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 it is Although I know totally know that I'm against, I'm not working towards this, but there should be more funny books. I yes. always like, I would really like more books that aren't issues and themes. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, I'm part of the problem. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> other people could write really funny lots. books. That'd be great. <laughs> but it's true because there's lots for adults that are, you know, might have a bit of sex in them or whatever, but they're really genuinely funny. Um, and mm. it's hard to find young adult books that are yeah, somehow issue based. Yes, I oh, think, because I think we need more teenagers fun. are like so in their emotions. Mm. <laughs> They're like so exactly. dramatic. Yeah, pull them out. Yeah, yeah. Also, also, do, oh, and really weirdly, when I write drama, I do tend to be more funny. But um, I, well, I think anyway. And um, but uh, I tend, I like dealing with really difficult subjects through comedy. But for some reason, once I get into prose, it all goes a bit dark. I don't know what happens. <laughs> Oh, we need man. like a, such I think an... we need like a young adult version of something like Dairy Girls that is a little yeah. bit serious but is is genuinely funny and deals with tough issues but in a really funny way. Yes. Well, in Dairy Girls, they're in high school, so isn't that young adult? Yeah, but yeah. I want the book version of it. You want a book? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, so would I. <laughs> Um, man, such an interesting topic. Um, okay, well, let's talk about one of your young adult novels, The Big Lie. So in that book, we touched on it a little bit before, but in that book you imagined a world where Nazis won the Second World War and invaded England. So you said your hope in writing the book was to inspire young readers into believing they're capable of making a difference and that their views are important. Mm. So 
With that in mind, we'd like to talk about Greta Thunberg and the school strike for climate. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, probably big lies aren't really needed right now. Or, well, maybe a big lie for adults to listen to children, maybe. <laughs> maybe, no. I mean, it's, I just think the whole thing is so, I love that the whole thing was just really led by so many young people. It was really impressive. Mm. Yeah, and I think, um I think when I was writing, when I was writing the book, I think I was also looking at sort of small acts of rebellion as well, that it can feel like, and, and people, you know, young people are doing that now, you, don't, you know, taking to the streets and doing things can feel like beyond some people and how you can do sort of small acts of rebellion, which is to just to question something sometimes and say, I disagree mm-hmm. or to tell somebody your point of view um so when that book came out you know I was going around schools and we we did this thing called a protest quilt which was um where you create a quilt with all the people around the table and you get a square to add to the quilt and you write something on there you feel really passionate about really sort of political about or cross about or something like that and it could be really small like why are there no Twixes in the school vending machine or something? That could be really huge. Like, you know, you know, why is there, why is there hunger anywhere in the world? And people would write on their squares. And then because everybody was sitting in a circle, then you had to sort of talk about why, what you'd written. And you know, some people were talking about the, the tax on Tampax. Um, some of the girls were across about that. And obviously the boys, a lot of the boys didn't really understand what that was. So therefore there was a conversation between girls and boys about, well, it's not really fair, is it, that my Tampax gets taxed in your shaving stuff doesn't and and so it it was kind of to promote that sort of small acts of rebellion but obviously now at the moment I think uh there's just been yeah this huge movement of like bigger acts of rebellion whether it will be listened to is the thing isn't it yeah it is I do like the idea of the small acts of rebellion though because it's that whole idea about you know like young people and teenagers and everything do have opinions and knowledge about the world. And if they don't keep asking questions and saying things and, you know, doing things, then, well, no one's ever going to listen. But, yeah, so it's good, I guess, to keep keep speaking, mm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, um, I mean, school strike for climate is probably the perfect example because literally one one young girl started it all and you know she could have easily said well no one's going to listen to me I'm only 15 and you know it's not really going to make a difference is it but if we all took that attitude then nothing at all would change yeah yeah it's that that thing about like oh it's just one drinking straw said one million people and yeah yeah you have to do the small thing I think and also I mean I know she's been doing these you know she's been spearheading these amazing marches and bringing lots of people Together. but I think one of the most powerful things I saw is that she was on an American TV show and they and I can't remember who whose it was but the, the the host asked her well what, how's it different in your country to how it is in America to do with climate change and she was going well uh, in my country it's a fact and here it seems to be something you believe in or not and she seemed like really foxed by that and I just thought her expressing <laughs> that kind of really simple thing was really powerful like, you know you don't necessarily need to go and chain yourselves up some railings actually having a conversation with somebody about something um can change their minds and that's Mm. the biggest you can do um you know I'm I'm all for one I I do engage with trolls sometimes and on Twitter um and kind of sometimes kind of think why are you why and ask them why god that's made you really angry why has that made you angry and then (laughs) you can actually get a conversation going it's really intriguing but what what is it that triggered you to be so cross about somebody writing an article about something you didn't agree with and then you yeah you can get a conversation going and somebody might change their mind yeah Yeah. Yeah. it is amazing what people you know get angry about and everything on social media I think the most ridiculous (laughs) thing I've seen recently is um the you know how on Facebook there's like all the different reactions and there's like an angry one yeah Mm. um (laughs) Like last weekend, um, Australia's Got Talent finished, um, and a pole dancer won, and a lot of the reactions. Yeah, she did. Um, A lot of the reactions are the angry ones, and people are commenting, you know, that 
you know, one of the singers should have won and everything like that. And it's like, it's a reality talent show. Like, yeah. who cares? Always win, though. It's about time that someone else won. There's always a yeah. singer. Exactly. But, like, That's also, who cares? Does it warrant the angry comment and the angry reaction on a Facebook post? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just people would be uh, – yeah, and just people ha- go quickly to anger rather than kind of going, I don't really – agree with you what how you come come to that viewpoint yeah or thinking oh this is new this is different like because the pole Mm. dance has never won any of these shows before and then to think huh Mm. like think about it for a second rather than you know I mean it's applies to so Mm. many things but I think after saying that oh yeah I love Twitter because it it brings me together with collaborators (laughs) (laughs) sometimes I'm like really are we gonna get really angry about this and people it's presenting their feelings as fact and yeah it can get very volatile yeah um so we've obviously we've obviously spoken a lot about your books um so far but as we mentioned you are a playwright and you've done radio dramas as well um how does the, the writing process differ for you between those mediums um well for what well with radio dramas much quicker which is always the joy because it's always <laughs> I do love the feeling of having finished something <laughs> and um obviously with a novel you're in for the long haul um I mean they're not too dissimilar in the sense that I think they're both quite internal um formats you know like with when you're writing film and stage plays things need to be physically happening um uh, whereas with radio and books you've got the you know you can go much more inside people's heads and kind of work out what you know mentally is happening which I think I find really interesting um and also the the, the joy of radio drama is at the end it becomes a joint effort and you go into a studio with actors and sound people and you put it all together and whereas you know with a novel even though you're working with an editor and uh, various marketing people at the end that it can be quite a remote process so yeah, I think I would struggle just doing books because it would be very kind of solitary and maybe a little bit lonely. And it is nice to to ping ideas off people because, um, I mean, that's sort of where I started. I started as a journalist, which, you know, you're generally working in sort of newsrooms and you're bouncing ideas off people. And then I was acting and, you know, working with other people and I was writing comedy with somebody. And that really works really well when you're bouncing ideas off people. Um, so it is really nice sometimes to be writing a book and be in control of the whole world, you know, it's all mine and I get to decide everything. Um, <laughs> but then it's really nice to hand a kind of almost uh, script is always a bit of a blueprint, a blueprint even. And giving that to other people and seeing what they do with it is is another kind of exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I am really interested in this because like radio dramas aren't really popular in Australia or they haven't mm. been for a while, I'd say. Um, but obviously podcasting is very popular mm. and getting more and more popular every day. And, you know, like a narrative podcast um, is something that's, you know, people are exploring. And I've listened to a few and Michelle's listened to a few, I'm sure. Um, but I've there must be <laughs> – you've written one. Yes, you have. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but, like, what are the challenges with writing – a, a narrative story like that that's only going to be heard rather than read or seen on stage or in a movie or a tv show yeah I think um it can feel a little bit when you first go in you think oh my gosh I'm only working with one sense and, and you know just yeah. hearing ah you know like I can't do it I can't do it but in a sense I think it's really freeing because you know often I'll pitch stuff for a screen and my agent will go that's too expensive nobody's gonna like that you can't afford the space outfit you know <laughs> whereas like with radio uh that's that completely goes out the window you can you can create a whole world you know a friend of mine wrote a, a radio drama and part of it took place within the womb you know and you think oh if I had to do that oh, on screen wow. how would that happen whereas you know she could she could make that happen because it doesn't matter it's all in your mind and I think that's what's beautiful about it is that the you know when you're reading a book you're continually creating those pictures uh, with the help of the author um if they're doing it right and then um (laughs) and radio is the same thing that you you know you're listening to the audio cues and you're you're completely filling in the gaps you can't be too explanatory because there is that feeling that you have to go 
what a lovely red dress you're wearing with lots of spots on, you know, to make it really clear what's <laughs> happening. And you, you sort of don't, you know, unless it's really crucial that that person suggests that the listener will fill the gaps and therefore will become more engaged in the drama because they're, in a sense, helping you make it, if that makes sense. But um, yeah. yeah, I'm really, I'm really surprised there's not more narrative podcasts. I've started listening to one at the moment called Passenger List, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, but it is borrowing very much from the style of investigative podcasts and turning that into drama. And I wonder, you know, where it will go in the future with, with perhaps mimicking more, you know, the things like Radio Four do here. Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I would so like many some opportunities. And I mean, you can, people can explore in relatively low cost ways as mm. well. Um, so um, yeah. I, was, I was wondering, have you, Julie, have you written a radio drama um, that has a narrator? Because I think the one of the, or the first one at least, um, of like a narrative podcast that I listened to was called Deadly Manners. And it was styled mm. like a really old radio show sort of thing so there was a narrator and then like the characters would speak and it was it was kind of like Cluedo they all got like locked in a house and someone died okay yeah (laughs) I'm a little bit um, I'm a little bit allergic to narrators on radio shows I'm also a little bit allergic to narrators in film as well whenever I have a narrator in a film I assume that the the director thinks I'm stupid (laughs) I won't work it out from the pictures I need somebody going but that was the day you know and you're like yeah no I got that picture of you doing that um, but um, so I, then I get a bit like that with radio and, and I, you know, they can be used amazingly. But I, I think also because um, particularly on Radio 4, they have um, books that are adapted, um, which tend to be sort of a narration of the book with some bits of drama in. So if I'm writing something that I think is supposed to be a drama, I try and stay away from narration as much as I can. And I think because of that reason why I was saying that I want the audience to be really engaged in it and be filling the gaps and uh not having it fed to them so much but um yeah. yeah I think I think they can be successful and you know and you see stage plays as well don't you with you know you have a character that stands on the front of the stage and narrates bits of it and that can be really satisfying and funny or whatever but um yeah maybe I should get over myself and try and do that <laughs> I don't know you know now that you say that I almost think you do have a point that sometimes the narrator is just pointing out the obvious I guess it depends mm how it's done yeah yeah I do know a director who did shoot a film that didn't wasn't supposed to have a narrator and then when they looked at the edit they went it doesn't really make sense on its own so it needed that lead character's voiceover just to add a few things in so that you know the audience member isn't completely baffled but yeah you can <laughs> yeah. strike that balance <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I, I, sometimes it can work well I mean in books too um I mean the one that springs to mind is obviously the book thief which is narrated by death and you know that that can be quite interesting as well but I think Mm -hmm. it has to be done in a in an interesting way and in a unique way not just for the sake of this is how you write whatever I'm writing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so you're also as we mentioned writing some non-fiction do you do you want to tell us a little bit more about that please well, yeah, I sort of wasn't meant to be. I was meant to be. I was meant to be writing a play about Catherine of Aragon, and um, <laughs> weirdly, and uh, and I, I did write my play about Catherine of Aragon. It was meant to be about. I'm from a town called Peterborough, and Catherine of Aragon is buried in the cathedral in uh, Peterborough, and I didn't know. And I grew up there, and I was obsessed with Henry VIII's wives growing up. I just thought it was the most fascinating bit of drama from history and, you know, <laughs> thought it was all great. And, and, and then as an adult, I was like, how did I not know that she was buried there? Because it was almost like having a celebrity buried. And I started thinking, did nobody tell me? Was it not considered interesting? Or partly because when we talk about Henry VIII's wives, she is the boring one, you know. Do you know what I mean? She's not the interest. Everybody's interested in Anne Boleyn, aren't they? You know what I mean? It's like, ah, uh, she's the boring old first one, wasn't she? And, and I started thinking, well, surely that's not who she was. And obviously, she wasn't. She was this, you know, amazing figure from history. But she's her story isn't really told. We tend to focus on Henry VIII, and we tend to focus on Anne Boleyn. Weirdly, I don't know why. And um, uh, so I started uncovering her story, and then I f- discovered a writer that was from Peterborough who had never been remembered by the city. 
and again female writer I think there's a little bit of a theme running here and she wrote very much about um uh you know the challenges of being a woman in the, around the turn of the uh, 20th century and how to balance family and work and stuff and obviously that sort of thing didn't tend to get celebrated as much and then through her I discovered this silent movie actress who was in some of her films and uh, she became my third character even though she wasn't from Peterborough and this character started kind of completely taking over the play to the point where everybody's going she's interesting isn't she you're really interested in her aren't you and I was like yeah because there's so many parallels between her life and mine and uh she speaks to a lot of the things that I'm passionate about and I just think you know and she she uh yeah so I started investigating her more and it's just been a bit of a domino effect where uh you know I found something interesting about her and then that led me to someone else that led me to someone else and now I'm sort of speaking to her nephew and her sister and her niece and I have like a big box of all her things in my shed <laughs> and suddenly I'm like oh I'm writing her biography it, it's almost like she's uh I feel like it's it's her doing it to me <laughs> in a sense going you write my book um because she's that kind of character so I thought yeah oh. I'm gonna do it and she yeah she's interesting and it, it's more a book about I suppose it's more it is about her but it's about the stories we tell about ourselves because she told several about herself and not all of them marry up um and we all do oh, it like you know the story I'm telling you on here on the on 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 this podcast is not the way I would tell my husband about my day or how I would talk to my children about my day and we have different ways that we tell stories about ourselves that fits the situation and the and how we feel about ourselves in that moment and I think that's really interesting about and sometimes we tell ourselves lies so that we can just sort of exist because it's you know we all we all need to be the good person in our own narrative and we're not always, but we create stories to make ourselves the good person. And I think that's really interesting as well. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. That's Ooh, that's that. It's a book about much about all of us telling stories about ourselves as it is about her, but she was very good at it. So mm. <laughs> God, open, that yeah. sounds so interesting. I'm excited Ooh. for this book already. <laughs> yeah, just go for it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you t- oh God, we've talked about so many different projects and you talk across, you write across so many different mediums. Do you have a favourite? Um, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think, um, I sort of am in love with the, the one, do you know what? I'm usually in love with the one I'm not doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I'm trying to write the it's really hard it's a new skill for me and I'm like oh I should just go write you know a a, a screenplay because that's you know I just and I just find dialogue and that's fun and it's, <laughs> and then I'll go and write the screenplay like, oh, I should really knuckle down and finish my book that'd be amazing if that book's finished and so yeah I'm a little bit grass is greener but um <laughs> I think they both they all feed into each other because often having written um something in one particular format it then makes you go oh I could use a bit of that in my you know you could use a bit of screenplay technique in your novel and use a bit of kind of internal novel technique in your screenplay and they all feed across so um yeah I sometimes think I should just focus I should choose one medium and be really good at it but I don't know whether it works like that I think they all help each other yeah and if you just did one forever that'd be boring yeah, I would I would get a bit stuck. I'm not very good with routine. I don't like to do the same thing all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, mix it up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's been working so far. <laughs> uh, Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, could you just let our listeners know where they can find you online? Yes. So um, I've got a website, which is juliemayhew.co.uk. Um, and I'm on Twitter, at Julie Mayhew, and Instagram, at Julie Mayhew. I am on Facebook, but I'm not very good at Facebook. So um, you can send me all the angry faces you like and I probably won't see them. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, and I'm, I'm doing some events in the run-up to the release of um, Impossible Causes. Um, so Impossible Causes comes out on October the 17th and there's various events around the country which I must get organised and put properly on Instagram or Twitter. Um, so it'd be lovely if you're, I think I'm going to be in Sheffield and Lincoln and uh, Bath and... Anyway, yeah, I'll put I'll put them up on um, social media, and then if if you're in the area, you can come and say hello. Ah, oh, when are you in Sheffield? I'm going to do the Off the Shelf Festival. Um, 
and I don't know the date off the top of my head, um, but I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing a day with uh, five other authors, and there's all, all of us are sort of talking about our new books. Um, and I know Stephen May is on the lineup, and Brian Bilston. So yeah, it's a really varied. So it's a really good event actually, because if you're kind of like I don't know what to go and see at the festival, come to that, you're going to hear about six completely different books, and so uh, you're bound to find something you like. So I think. Oh, really wonderful! Okay. I so hmm. I'm in Chesterfield, which is only uh, 15 minutes on the train to Sheffield. So I wanted yeah. to go to some of the events with, but, um, with the Curly Spire. You've got the Curly Spire, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's our that's our claim to fame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm going away in a few weekends um, when I think it's when the festival starts, but it runs for a few weeks. So yeah, um, and I'm not right yeah. near the start. I can't remember exactly when I am, but um, yeah. Oh, hopefully, it's, hopefully it's when I'm around and I can I can make it. Otherwise, yeah. we'll have to it'll have to be another event sometime. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's been lovely to chat to you. Um, so we might just kind of say goodbye, but then stay on the phone and we'll stop the recording. Okay, cool. This bit's always awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for chatting with us, Julie. We really enjoyed it. And um, so the, this episode will air um, the day before the book is coming out. Uh, so it will be available in all good bookshops very, very soon. And I think available um, in November in Australia. Is that right, Caitlin? I am not sure. <laughs> Sorry. I know that November is the American release date, so yeah, I'm not sure about Australia actually. It's it's coming out very very soon in Australia. Yeah, very soon. Very, October, very soon. November. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you, thank you so much, Julie. Oh, thanks for having me. We'll see everyone in our next episode. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.